Hello, everybody. Welcome to MHTV. It's lovely to have you with us tonight. We've got a great, uh, great subject and a great guest. Uh, but before I go into that, um, let me hand over to Dave so he can tell you how you can join him with us tonight because we'd really like to hear what you think. Dave? Hi everyone, thanks for joining. It's Dave here and to just say again, if it's your first MHTV tonight, thank you for joining in. Uh, really easy to get involved. We've got a couple of options. The first is on Twitter. All you need to do is include the hashtag MHTV. I'll be looking for any tweets that mentions that this evening uh, and we'll bring in any of those that are appropriate into the conversation. Uh, the other option that you've got is on Facebook Live. All you need to do is, while you're watching the video, head to the right. Uh, there's a little place there where you can type in any questions, any comments, join in the conversation. Uh, and again, anything that's appropriate will bring you into the conversation. Back over to you, Nikki. Okay. Hello, everybody. We're going to be talking about perinatal mental health. But before we get stuck into that topic, let's go to our guest so that she can introduce herself and let you know. Hello, this is Jane. Hello, <laughs> thanks for uh, thanks for having me. Thanks for asking me to uh, to come and speak to you about perinatal mental health. Um, so my name's Jane Fisher. Um, I'm a mental health nurse. Um, I've been an, um, a nurse for um, around seventeen or eighteen years now, um, and for the last eighteen months, um, I've worked at the University of Central Lancashire in Preston as a mental health nurse um, lecturer. Um, I'm incredibly passionate um, about perinatal mental health, um, so it's a real uh, privilege to, to be coming here um, and talking about it tonight. Fantastic. But can you tell us a little bit about how you came to do this type of work, why, why you're so passionate about it? Um, so I've got three children um, and when my youngest um, daughter Bella, uh, she was born in 2015, um, at that time I was a community mental health nurse, um, absolutely loved my job as a, as a CPN and I went on maternity leave uh, to have my daughter um, Bella um, and then not long after she was born um, I quite quite traumatically and also quite dramatically uh, went from a community mental health nurse on maternity leave uh, to, um, to a mental health patient um, virtually, virtually overnight. I quite unexpectedly um, experienced my own perinatal mental health challenges and required, uh, required care and services under under my local um, mental uh, mental health teams, uh, so I was I was on maternity leave, um, but also accessing services that were local to me um, at at the same time. It was yeah, it was quite um, it was quite a surprise to me. Um, I didn't um, expect um, that that was what was gonna what, what was gonna happen, um, and I was really quite quite significantly um, quite acutely unwell um, until Bella was about um, 10, 10 to 11, 12 months old. Um, so it was it was a year of quite quite acute um, mental illness. Um, a lot of women um, do go on to make a complete recovery uh, from perinatal mental health challenges, uh, which is great. Um, and unfortunately, uh, some women uh, like myself uh, go on to develop more longer term um, mental health um, challenges. Yeah. Uh, so for the last seven years, I've been navigating uh, what at times is quite 
it's quite a difficult journey um, to navigate uh, being both a mental health service user, which I, I still am now, uh, a mental health nurse, um, and also now a mental health uh, lecturer um, as well. Uh, so it is challenging to, to navigate those, uh, those different, um, different identities. Um, but since, since then, I've, I've pretty much not stopped talking about perinatal mental health um, since then. I think it's such, a, such an important area to talk about. Um, and it's so important in terms of, you know, child development and, you know, mum's mom's long term um, mental, mental well-being. Um, so, yeah, I've kind of been passionate about perinatal mental health uh, since then, really. It's a hell of a journey, isn't it? How, because you said you had two children before that, was there any sign that this was going to be a different experience? Um, I think looking back now with hindsight, there probably were, were signs um, that things weren't, uh, weren't quite right. Um, but it was it was after I had Bella um, where I'd, I'd never needed the care of mental health services um, before um, before then. Um, so it, it was quite a shock, um, really. Uh, it was quite a um, quite a, a difficult, well, you can imagine, quite a difficult season to um, to navigate, especially with having three small children um, as well. Mm. Um, I had um, a variety of, of symptoms. Um, I I couldn't sleep even when even when Bella was fast asleep. Um, I was still still lying there um, awake. Um, making decisions was incredibly difficult. Um, I remember going to the, the supermarket and my son has a milk allergy um, and I was in Tesco and I was just looking at the, the whole variety of milk alternatives um, that there were and it just felt so overwhelming um, and I just could not decide which milk to buy um, mm. so I, I left with with no milk mm. uh, so apologies to uh, my son Joshua for that um, but yeah making decisions was incredibly difficult leaving the house was incredibly difficult as well I was really anxious um, I was really worried uh, but anyone who's had small children uh, will know that staying inside the house with toddlers um, all day is in fact more challenging than taking uh, the toddlers out <laughs> um, so I, ha I had to go out but it was incredibly difficult, incredibly um, stressful, um, and and thing, things just escalated. Things got worse. Um, then I began to be quite paranoid as well. Um, I used to think that people were um, people were watching us, people were plotting against us, that I was in danger, um, that the kids were in danger. Um, you know, so it was really quite. Uh, really quite a traumatic, um, traumatic journey, uh, whilst navigating trying to be uh, an, a mum to, to three small children. Uh, my husband was self-employed, working from home. He was trying to keep things as ticking over as possible, uh, as much for our, for our eldest too. Uh, but yeah, it was really a, an incredibly, incredibly challenging um, time um, and made me kind of reflect on my own practice as a nurse mm. and have brought it home to me that you know the actual kind of pure terror and, and suffering mm. uh, that occurs when people are in um when people are, are acutely um acutely unwell 
there was also a real a real challenge navigating how to explain to my um, my oldest daughter at the time um, how to explain to her what what was going on and why mummy was crying a lot of the time and why mummy couldn't go out and do um, and do this and that um, and it was actually my husband that brought it up for the first time and uh, he was driving me to a mental health appointment. We had the kids in the car and my oldest said, um, said Where, where's mummy going? Um, and my husband said, mummy's, mummy's got to go um, and see a doctor because mummy's, mummy's mind is poorly and mummy's feeling sad. Um, and that was the first time we kind of spoke about it, you know, with, with the kids. Um, and I suppose from, from that moment, up until now, because I still live with um, ongoing mental health challenges. Um, it's navigating being a mum and being a, a parent, um, but also being someone who lives with a mental health condition. Um, and how do we explain that to the kids and, and what's what's age appropriate for um, for them to know? So that was a real that was a real challenge um, challenge for um, for me. How did you figure out what was happening to you? Because, I mean, obviously, if you're seeing this from the outside, you'd be like, oh, I'm looking at. But when it's happening to you, sometimes that can be quite confusing. So how did you twig what was going on? Um, I'd say probably for around six months, I really didn't have any insight into what was happening. I didn't realise that I was unwell. I didn't realise um, that I was suffering from perinatal mental health problems. I simply thought that I was a rubbish mum, that I was failing my kids, um, and that I was just doing a, a terrible job, or um, wasn't cut out for, um, for motherhood. That was kind of what I put it down to uh, for, a, for a very long time. Um, so it probably took, you know, at least six months, if not longer, for me to actually kind of consider the fact that actually, you know, this this may be a mental health problem or how I'm feeling might actually be a symptom of a, of a perinatal mental health problem. Um, but yeah, that that took um, that took a long time. Um, and my um, 10, 12 years as a mental health professional prior to this yeah. uh, gave me no, no further, no further insight um, mm. into, into the fact that um, I was I was really unwell at the time. Mm. And so you, you sort of get to the stage now where you realise what's happening. What kind of support did you get around you? I had an incredibly supportive health visitor who had a background in mental health, mm. uh, which we were incredibly um, lucky to have that. Mm. And we feel incredibly blessed that that, that support was there, was there uh, from our health visitor. Unfortunately, it took a while to get support from mental health services. Mm -hmm. um, and my health visitor was a real advocate for us during that time and making sure that those referrals did go through and I did get, you know, the help and the support. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, it was seven years ago in my area, there wasn't any specialist perinatal mental health teams at that time, mm -hmm. um, which, um, which I do feel sad about when I look back. Um, I think if I would have had access to more specialised um, support sooner, I do think that my longer term out outcomes um, might have been might have been slightly slightly better. Um, so it's I think it's really great now that there are so many specialist community perinatal mental health teams uh, for mums that are that are struggling. Mm. 
So unfortunately, I did have to wait quite a while um, to access um, mental mental health care. Um, and, and then that's a journey that I'm kind of still on still on today. Um, just navigating um, mental illness, motherhood, being a nurse, being a lecturer, general life. Um, I think it was a difficult time uh, when I when I came out of the perinatal period. So that that year or that two years now um, that's referred to as, as the perinatal um, period. Um, you know, there was no there was no dramatic. I didn't wake up when Bella turned one or when Bella turned two and, you know, mental, mental illness is gone now. The perinatal period has ended. Uh, so I'm all good now. That, that's, you know, we can, we can park that. I'm all good. Uh, that, that didn't happen. Um, and that, that was quite difficult. Um, and I kind of described that as that's when I almost graduated from perinatal mental health problems to kind of generic mentally ill um which which was quite which was quite difficult um to um to navigate that journey as well mm. no you, you you're putting so much in my head when you're talking about these things because I, I completely understand what you're saying when you're talking about you know having these different roles and how they inform each other and how they help each other and how sometimes you would think they would help and they absolutely don't um I guess once you'd realized it was a perinatal mental health issue you were thinking when the perinatal period stops it's going to all stop and then when it didn't, how did you, how did you, because you say you kind of graduated, what, what was that like? Um, it was, it was really quite difficult, um, mm. to be honest. And I think other people's perceptions, I think in the, in the perinatal period, there's kind of a, a clear cause of illness. You've just had a baby, you know, your body's falling apart, your hormones are all over the place. Mm -hmm. You know, you're, you're breastfeeding a baby every two hours, mm -hmm. um, you know, from kind of, you know, there was a lot more um, kind of understanding um, mm -hmm. for that. But I think when, when that period ends and, you know, oh, okay, you're, you're still not better now. Mm -hmm. um, I think that was, um, that, that was difficult. Um, and that that's still difficult now. Um, you know, I, I do go through times where it's very difficult to live with mental illness. Um, and there are, you know, daily, uh, weekly challenges um, that I that I navigate. I guess the way I think about it now um, is I think about kind of recovery for me is is not coming off meds it's not being discharged from services it's not the removal of a diagnosis mm. uh, for me recovery is living as well as I can do with ongoing mental health challenges mm. and navigating you know being a, a, a lecturer and being a and being a mum with with those struggles because I think I would be waiting perhaps a very long time um, if I put my life on hold until I didn't have a mental illness anymore. Yeah. So it's, it's definitely yeah. changed my my view of recovery as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I can see that. I guess one of the things that always strikes me about the kind of identity that people have when they have mental health issues is it's one of those things that almost erases all the others, and that's a real problem. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, this idea that you know you being a mum is the second role you have, and that's not true. It's your first role. So. Have you any thoughts on that or maybe some of the sort of stigma you've encountered or? Yeah, I think um, I think there's definitely less stigma than perhaps there used to be. 
Um, but I think we're naive if we think that there, you know, there isn't still stigma attached to mental health conditions and perinatal mental health conditions. When people have a baby, it's supposed to be this magical, wondrous time, you know, where you, you know, you've got a, a brand new baby um, and everything's idyllic, and you know, you're in this kind of breastfeeding, you know, bubble, and people are bringing you food. Um, you know, and, and the reality is, you know, your, your body's falling to pieces, you're knackered, you don't know whether, you know, even without perinatal mental health challenges, it's an incredibly challenging time to be, be a new mum. The society pressures to, to get back to work, to get back in the skinny jeans again, get back to the gym. Um, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of pressure and it's a, it's a major life event. It's a, it's a major, um, it's a major change. And when you kind of throw perinatal mental illness into the mix, it becomes, you know, just incredibly um, even more challenging um, than it is than it is without. Um, so I think there is there is still stigma um, attached. Stigma is definitely less. Um, but like I said, we're naive to um, to think that there's still no stigma. I experience stigma um, still um, to this day. I also think there's a there's there can be an extra layer of stigma attached to being a mental health professional uh, with a severe and enduring mental illness as well. Again, I think that is less than it was perhaps seven years ago. Um, but again, I think we're, you know, we're naive to, um, to believe that there's, you know, there's still not some, some stigma attached to that, um, which for me is, is just ridiculous and it doesn't make sense and it shouldn't be that way. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I do talk about some of my own, uh, my own experiences. Mm. Being a mental health professional uh, does not make you immune to experiencing um, a mental health condition. Mm. I think there's a kind of kind of false comfort for some people, isn't there? And imagine like they kind of a, the glass window. There's those people that have this happen to them, and there's us who don't have that. But like that's ne never been true, has it? I mean, in the past, I think there was some really kind of brutal treatment of of nurses who got sick one way or another. You know, people being asked to, to sort of shuffled off onto nights and out, or being asked if they're already cut out for this anymore, or you know, just being given like, experiencing anger, I think, from colleagues for somehow kind of breaking this promise of never getting sick, which is so mm -hmm. strange because you know, it, you wouldn't be a physical health nurse and, and have people be mean to you if you got a cold, or no. <laughs> it's such a weird, weird thing, isn't it? But I, I wonder if it comes from a place of fear, maybe, possibly, yeah, yeah. And I suppose a little bit of that kind of them and us mentality, you know, we're the nurses, you're the patient. Um, and definitely when I went back to work after having Bella, um, I was definitely a, a, a challenge to that, um, you know, and, you know, it is why I do speak like I said, openly about some of my own experiences. It doesn't make me any less of a nurse or a mother, um, you know, and, you know, I, I like to give, you know, hope to other people that, you know, that they can, especially student nurses, um, you know, they, they can be excellent mental health nurses and, you know, their own mental health struggles don't need to um, stop them from becoming mental health nurses as long as they've got the right support in place and they're coming at it from a place of um, stability um, then they can be excellent mental health nurses. It's such a weird thing that mental health nurses would be frightened of vulnerability 
because that's what we're talking about, isn't it? We're talking about an emotional, psychological vulnerability. I know, I know that it's not easy for me. So I can imagine that, you know, if you're just trying to start off with that navigating that experience, it must be really tough. If we haven't seen anybody like you, you know, saying this is what life is like, life is complicated. And this is how I deal with it. If you have never seen that, it must be such a frightening experience for, for mm. young stuff. I think we're really failing younger stuff if we don't talk about this sort of thing. Mm, definitely. Um, I can see we're getting some questions in, but before we come to that, can we just talk a little bit about how you came to discuss this issue and how you have been, um, you know, in terms of your writing and things like that as well, before we open it up to discussion. So you're yeah. saying that you always talk about it and then you we moved away from that, but you were talking about, you know, when you first started trying to explain to your children. Yeah, going. yeah. And that was really important to me. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I've worked in mental health for a long time, um, you know, and I, I wanted to, to do it the right way for my kids. And I didn't want it to be, you know, this this dark family secret that, you know, mm -hmm. was pushed under the carpet and nobody talked about. But again, I wanted to do it in a, an age appropriate way that my, that my kids would understand. And, you know, for me as a mental health nurse, that was an incredible um, challenge. Um, and I didn't know where to start or what to say. Um, so eventually, um, eventually I, I wrote a, a children's book um, exploring um, perinatal mental illness or, or maternal mental health. Um, and that was a way for me to explain to my children uh, what was uh, what was happening, what was happening to me. Um, and I worked with another mum, Amy, um, who's a, who's an artist, and she uh, she illustrated the book. Um, and it, it, it it's it's a beautiful book, if I do say so myself. The illustrations from Amy um, are, are just incredible. Um, I do have I do have it here. Um, I read it regularly with my own children um, because mental health is an ongoing conversation um, in in our household. Um, so I just wanted it to be initially initially it was a tool for me um, and for Amy to explain to her kids um, you know but if, if this can help another family you know then then that's that that's amazing it's kind of aimed at children like quite young children so kind of like three four five six and it just really gently explains um, that sometimes mummy has a poorly mind. Uh, it compares um, a poorly mind to being under a rain cloud um, and feeling sad. Um, and then it talks about um, the little girl in the book, Faith, um, who's my daughter's called Faith, my oldest. Um, she has a, um, a magical medicine bag um, and inside that medicine bag are um, hope, um, kind words, and hugs and kisses um, that faith uses. And then it kind of brings in that emotional awareness and that emotional intelligence with children, because towards the end, it kind of says, you know, we all have minds and like we need to look after our bodies, we need to look after our minds um, and we all need hope, we all need kind words and we all need hugs and kisses. Um, so it kind of just opens up that, that conversation, uh, you know, with, with young children about awareness about, you know, mental and emotional health. Mm -hmm. If my kids can, you know, grow up accepting the fact that People have bodies that can get poorly. People have minds that can get poorly, um, you know, and it, it, it's just it's just one of those things. It's, you know, and we can all do things to look after uh, to look after our minds. 
And my, my children's primary school, they've used the book. Um, you know, they've read the book um, to classes um, just opening up those, you know, those conversations. Um, and, it's, and it's a tool for health professionals as well to direct families to, um, because it's hard to find the words to explain to your children uh, what is happening, um, you know, when, when mummy might be unwell. I think as well, it's so important to just start the conversation. It doesn't need to be perfect. But the idea that the silence would be the thing that dominates is really worrying. Because children understand when something's wrong and they, they internalise this blame if they think that if they don't understand what's going on or think it's their fault. Mm, yeah great thing. how do people get hold of this book then is it it's published and people can access it um, yes so uh so it's published um and i think i think the link will be will be somewhere and i was very proud of myself because i did cre- i have created a code um that gets you uh, that gets you free delivery um if you use the code so i'm sure that will be um that'll be available um in some in some format um they will yeah. take care of it <laughs> yeah <laughs> Right, what have we come today for some questions? <laughs> well, he's not busy. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm tweeting quite a bit tonight. Uh, so yeah, so I, I have just tweeted out the link to the book. Uh, I've also included the code in there that you sent us earlier for that free shipping. Uh, and I have just put the message on saying that we're not getting any commission for encouraging people to get books. Uh, I sometimes worry that people are thinking, you know, we're trying to sort of make a minute off this and that's why i was saying to do something but me, <laughs> me and nikki one look at us and they know fine well we are not making a minute off this <laughs> yeah yeah me, me and nikki are really we're really cheap aren't we nikki so we, we we encourage people to do things when we actually believe that the things that they should do so yeah. we're absolutely go, go and have a look and get a copy of that book mm-hmm. uh we've had uh, a few comments i just need to find what screen i put them on now nikki uh, I've got so many screens open. It should be here. Right. So uh, Shahela uh, has said uh, a lot of pressure and stigma within the Asian culture, too. You're expected to manage yourself and sometimes you receive help from families. However, other times you don't. Mm-hmm. I, I suppose how much kind of support did you have, Jane? You know, and, and actually I, I can appreciate sometimes even though you may be surrounded by support, it can be really hard to access that support, can't it? No matter how well-meaning it is and and how sort of, you know, really valuable it would be. Yeah, and it's really hard to tell people what's going on and and to tell people how how you're feeling. Um, So I'd kind of encourage anybody who is in, you know, contact with someone who has, you know, not long had a baby, um, you know, checking on the mum, you know, you know babies you know beautiful and and lovely and and doing well uh, but it's really important to ask you know how how mum is doing um and just offer that you know that gentle support um you know don't have expectations just to send flowers send food ring the doorbell leave the food on the um on the doorstep um you know that that kind of support is really um is really is really important for families um and like you know that said it you know that there is a lot of societal pressure um on on women and and you know and dads and partners as well yeah and i suppose we've been through such a difficult time with covid as well haven't we where the kind of the support that people maybe would have had pre-covid has just been completely wiped away so you know even people that were finding it difficult that could get out and access support that was kind of being really limited to them as well uh, and i suppose sort of having things like you know 
books can help, can't it? Because, you know, that is something that you can still kind of experience when you're limited with the ability to get out there. Yeah, definitely. One of the things I, I did want to say, because it kind of links into the, the comment that you made about uh, the issues of mental health professionals feeling difficult to talk about mental health. Uh, I suppose one of the things that I found fascinating was when I spoke to a group of uh, mental health student nurses uh, and kind of some of them sort of disclosing really kind of worries about their own mental health and not knowing where to go. Uh, and I suppose it's that kind of message about, you know, you two both teach uh, mental health nursing students, uh, you know, kind of what support do universities have in place? And is that something that, you know, that you find, you know, is something that you can do well? Or do you, do you think you kind of miss that? That's that's a good question. Um, I think in terms of universities, um, there is a lot of support available um, to students in general um, and to students who may be um, um, struggling uh, with their own mental health. Um, my personal opinion, I, I do think there is a little bit of a gap um, in terms of students, in terms of mental health student nurses who are coming to the course with their own uh, mental health lived experience. Um, I do feel that is that is quite a it's quite a unique position, um, not so much unique, um, but I think it it, it needs a um, it needs a very unique um, approach um, to that um, because it, it is challenging, um, and I found it challenging starting as a as a mental health nurse lecturer, um, you know, talking through all the horrendous side effects of medication that I was taking at the same time. Um, you know, you know, thing, things are things are more challenging. Um, and I think students with their own lived experience, they do need um, they do need um, a, a different level of support to perhaps um, to perhaps other students. Um, but any student nurses um, out there who do have their own previous experience of mental health difficulties, um, then take it from me. You can do it. Um, keep going. Don't let mental illness um, stop you. Um, it doesn't need to stop you from being an amazing mental health nurse. And it's about living as well as you can with those ongoing um, challenges. If someone had a physical health problem um, and needed regular medication or needed a specialist service, um, you know, that that's that's fine, you know, and, and things would be adapted um, to, to accommodate for that. Um, and it should be exactly uh, the same uh, with, with mental health conditions as well. Yeah, and it seems an important point to say tonight as well. We've featured a Nurse Lifeline in the past, a, a really good charity that's available to any nurse or student nurse or partners of nurses that, that want to talk to people who get the issue of, uh, you know, mental health in, in nursing. So uh, I'll do another link to that as well uh, when I finish sort of this, this last question from Alfonso. Uh, he said, thank you, Jane, for sharing your story. It's so important to listen to stories like yours. You, you were rightly so open about your own experiences, but I was wondering if you experienced any negative attitudes from students or colleagues within academia and whether your openness has impacted on your professional identity as a nurse lecturer. That's a very good question. question. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah, that's, that's an incredibly good question. Um, and I don't have a complete, and I wish I did have a complete answer to that, um, uh, but I don't. Um, I think um, in my in my role as, as a nurse lecturer, 
um, from my, my colleagues um, at, at UCLan, I've experienced um, no stigma whatsoever, um, just pure um, acceptance. Uh, my mental health um, colleagues at UCLan, and um, they are they are now friends before before colleagues. We really are a, um, a really supportive team, and I've always felt 100% um, accepted um, and, and supported. Um, in terms of in terms of previously in the past, uh, yes, I have experienced stigma um, at, at various points, uh, which has been which has been quite quite difficult. Um, I try not to focus too much on those um, on those negative experiences because I do have a lot of positive experiences as well. Navigating my identity as a nurse and a lecturer um, and a and a patient. Um, I wish I had the complete answer to how to do that, and I wish someone had the answer to give me of how to um, do that. It's um, it's it's not a it's not a linear journey. It's not a straight line journey. It's a you know all all over the place um, journey. And I I could have the option to step away from mental health and do a non mental health job, uh, but. I did try that for, for a year or so, and I returned to nursing because being a nurse is who I am. Um, and it's what I'm passionate about. It's what I'll always be passionate about. Um, and I will not let having a mental illness uh, stop me from doing the job um, that, that I love. Um, it makes it harder at some points, uh, but then I also have um, a story to tell. Um, and you know, other other professionals and, and students, they can, you know, they can learn from, you know, from my story as well. Um, so I hope that in some way answers that, answers that question. Yeah, I'm sure Alf will be happy with that, that uh, response. Go on, Nikki, carry on now. I'll keep looking if there's I anything else. Thinking, well, it's made me think of more things. So one of the things that I was thinking about is, it's, it's a strange thing, isn't it? Because on one hand, you know, advocacy is an important role to take but it always has to be your choice as well because presumably there'll be sometimes where you just don't feel like it well that's not what you want to foreground today and so this idea that you then have to be like the poster girl for perinatal issues or or lived experience voices that's also something which is quite constraining sometimes presumably as well mm -hmm. so I guess you shouldn't have to tell people that I want to but it's no. about you need if you need support if you want your working conditions to be different and yeah, there's a, it's, a, it's a complicated situation, isn't it? When yeah, 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 it is. Um, you know, when in, in my day to day life as a lecturer, um, I do talk about some of my own experiences sometimes, uh, but, the, but for the vast majority of times, um, you know, I don't and I don't need to. Um, my experience, whether I choose to openly talk about my experiences or not, um, doesn't mean that my own experiences don't shape what I, you know, what I say and what I do, and you know, the the approaches that I um, that I take to things. Um, so yeah, I would never want anybody with their own lived experience to think that they need to talk about it all the time, or they need to tell uh, patients or colleagues, um, you know, because you know, because that's you know, that's that's your personal. Um, you know journey and um, people see me as, as as quite open and honest which I am um but I share the tip of the iceberg you know there's there's a lot that I you know that I don't talk about um publicly um and I guess I am quite kind of um confident um oh my son's past stage three well done Joshua five minutes <laughs> well done <laughs> we celebrate every woman yeah 
Um, <laughs> so, so I, I am, you know, and I, I guess that's what, you know, professionals with their own lived experience, I would kind of encourage them to think about what they're comfortable talking about, what they're not comfortable talking about. Um, but definitely having, having that support in place um, and those people um, that you can kind of go to, which I, I have with my colleagues at UCLan, um, to say, you know, oh, actually that, you know, I've just done a session and that was, it was quite challenging because, you know, it made me think of, of this, this and this, or, you know, someone said this. Um, you know, so that's why I, I do think that, um, you know, professionals and student nurses with their own lived experience, um, you know, it, it, it is a really difficult road to navigate um, and, you know, they do need that, that support. Um, there is an organisation as well called um, Integrate Mental Health, um, who I can tag on Twitter if they're not, if they're not already there, um, but they provide support for mental health professionals who also live with mental health challenges. Um, I've never heard of them. That's terrible, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So they're called they're called Integrate Mental Health um, because it is, you know, it is challenging. Um, it is difficult. Um, but like I said before, mental illness will not will not take me out of the job that I love and the job that I'm that I'm passionate about. So, what does the future hold for you? Because I can see we're so we're heading towards the end of our time slot now. I just wondered, you know, what your plans for the future, what do you, what's the next stage for you? That's your next book coming out? <laughs> so that's, that's another good question. Um, I guess I just, at the moment, I'm, I, you know, I love being a, a lecturer um, and I love working with students. Um, and whether I talk about my own mental health or not, um, I love inspiring students with the difference that they can make as a mental health professional. Um, you know, so I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm quite happy in, in the job that I'm, that I'm doing at the moment and talking about my own experiences, um, you know, when, when people, when people ask, um, plus navigating being um, a mum uh, with a mental illness. And three children and no sleep. <laughs> yeah. You're looking amazing on it, can I just say? <laughs> Um, we're going to come to a sort of like round and have a look as if there's any sort of like last ideas or anything you want to to leave the audience with but before that i'll just go to dave and dave is there any last questions you wanted to ask well i, I do want to say nikki i feel a bit sad because you've never said how amazing i look with three kids so you know <laughs> <Have I> not? <laughs> no Oh, God. <laughs> uh, it's interesting because just when you said integrate uh i actually think that you're referencing an organisation that was on episode eight of MHTV, Nikki. Ah, so, I've never heard of them. Oh, my God, this is the end, isn't it? <laughs> I'm, I'm, just, I, I'm just watching a video of you now talking to, I think, the two founders, uh, Natalie Kemp and Anna. I 100% don't know why you would bring that up live on air, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it, I just think it, it shows that, you know, some of the kind of themes that we often talk about, yeah. they do kind of run across uh, episodes of MHTV, don't they? And, and it's really nice when we kind of, you know, yeah. sort of reinforce that that kind of plurality of, of stuff that's out there for people. Uh, and you will remember it. It was the episode where we talked about moral injury. Uh, so oh, that was, yes. yeah. That I one. moral injury. Yeah, it's because Jane, <laughs> Jane didn't use the right uh, episode name. <laughs> I was thinking I, I'd become the human etch sketch then. A bit of a shake and it all goes away. Kids won't. <laughs> <laughs> 
So I, th I think one of the things that obviously I'd like to kind of reflect on is what Jane said about health visiting. And obviously as a health visitor, it's always great to hear when people speak about how that profession has helped them uh, in the, you know, in the, in the lives. Uh, I think, you know, it's, it's quite a, an interesting time for health visiting at the moment, because obviously the numbers have been cut quite significantly over the last few years. Uh, but again, mentioned by a political party a couple of weeks ago, uh, when uh, Keir Starmer mentioned it in his uh, speech at the Labour Party conference, uh, promising 5,000 more health visitors, which obviously is always, uh, you know, news to, news to my ears, uh, which is also really positive. Uh, but I suppose it's just really sad, isn't it, when we know that uh, the kind of cuts that have happened have, have kind of cut away at some of these services. But sort of like looking at the other side with the work that's happened from the Maternal Mental Health Alliance, uh, which MHNA is a, a member of, uh, to kind of really highlight the need for good perinatal services uh, and the work that Dr. Alan Gregoire has done and uh, Luciana Berger, which is just so, you know, so positive. Uh, and I'm sure the work that Jane's doing just feeds in really nicely to that, uh, because when people hear the voices of uh, people that have had these kind of experiences, it's harder to ignore, it's harder to not want to fund services that support. So Jane, you know, excellent work that you're doing there. And obviously, like I said before, we're not getting a commission, but we'd encourage all everyone watching to, to get a, a hold of a copy of your book. Mm, yeah. your, ask your uni library to order it. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I think health visitors are so important, um, you know, and, and primary care, because uh, it is that universal service that's available to every uh, to everyone. Um, I had a lot of health, uh, mental health professionals come and go, come in for a week or so or a few visits, and then they'd be gone. Um, but my health visitor was was the constant um, throughout that, and they, you know, they 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 were still there after you know the mental health teams. Um, had gone um, and that was um, that was really that was really important for me and, and for us as a family um, and my health visitor was the only was the only person who who asked my husband if he was okay um, and who spent time with him you know explaining you know what was what was happening um, to me and, and what what their concerns were and uh, you know kind of what the what the plan was um, what the plan was moving forward um, so yeah health visitors are just absolutely incredibly vital when it comes to that early identification of any perinatal mental health problems. Absolutely. Is there anything anyone would like to say before we finish up? Any last words or anything like that? No? In that case, it just remains, um, if anybody's playing um, mental health tea bingo, uh, feel free to dunk your biscuit or have a drink because Dave managed to get in his health visitor status again. So please do enjoy that. And it just remains us to thank Jane for coming on and speaking so eloquently and openly about a situation that should be so important to all of us. That idea about how we support each other, how we look after ourselves. So thank you very much, Jane. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. No, Take thank care. you. Bye-bye, everyone. Take care. Bye-bye.